wonderful this morning just hearing you uh, sing out. I give you an A-plus, church, for singing today. I could hear you, and, and, and it leads me into my prayer request. My prayer request is, now, this is a serious prayer request, so if you find it in your heart to pray for this and think about acting on it, it would be to sit closer to me. That's my prayer request. One, two, three, I see four, I see rows where you could be sitting closer. Some of you just love the back, I understand. But I appreciate that. Think about uh, that in your next time you come in on Sunday morning. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit today again, the role of the Holy Spirit. We're in Acts chapter 2. And the role of the Holy Spirit in the church is, is an interesting one, I think. What, what role of the Holy Spirit um, does the Holy Spirit play in, in God's church today? I had this thought. Like, imagine a panel of church leaders from all different Christian churches. Like, Pentecostal leader, charismatic, Baptist. Uh, Lutheran, Catholic, non-denomination. I mean, just mix, just diverse group of, of leaders. And imagine them just kind of being on this panel, and the question is, what role does the Holy Spirit play in the church today? Wouldn't you love to hear the answer to that question? What role does the Holy Spirit play in the church today? Because I feel like, man, if, if, if I got to listen to those responses um, of, of, of all those different church leaders and the different kinds of churches, I think that would be really interesting. I had this experience happen to me a couple weeks ago. I was in a store that I often go to, and the people at the checkout um, know me pretty well. They see my face in there weekly. And I was um, checking, checking out, and, and the one lady said, um, aren't you a doctor? And I said, no, no. I, I thought you were a chiropractor or something. And, and I'm like, no, no, I'm a pastor. And then both, the, both of the ladies there behind the counter were like, you're a pastor? You know, and they're, they're Christian. So they were like, you know, and then, you know, when you tell someone you're a pastor, okay, now there's like all the questions come, right? And, and, and so, um, you know, what kind of church, you know, are you? And, and it was... It was interesting that, that um, the question that the one lady asked me was, is your church spirit-filled? If you've ever heard that term before describing a church. And, and that was the question that she had asked me, is your church spirit-filled? And, and so we kind of started talking about it, and I'm probably thankful that somebody behind me wanted to check out, because we would have been there for a long time, I think. Because it was that question, you know, what role does the Holy Spirit play in churches today? And the answer to that question, I'm here to tell you the answer, so you don't have to go home and wonder, all right? I know you'd love to still see that panel like I would, but you don't have to wonder. The answer is the same role he's been playing since the beginning of time. The Holy Spirit was in the beginning when God created everything, because the Holy Spirit is God. God is the Holy God is three persons in one, and we have a hard time grasping the Trinity, but he is. It's God, and he's been there, and it, he plays the same role. There's four components to the role. The Holy Spirit reveals God, empowers the church, us, to preach the truth. He 
purifies us, and he unifies us. And I'm going to walk us through those four areas that he reveals, he empowers, he purifies, and he unifies. And the cool thing is, is that it all shows up right in Acts chapter 2. We see all four of those components that the Holy Spirit plays right in Acts chapter 2. So you ready to go on this little journey with me this morning? All right, let's pray. Father, may your word come forth in a way that we understand. May you use me, Lord, empower me to preach truth today. And may you, in only the way your Holy Spirit can, help us understand the scriptures. Help us understand your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're in Acts 2. If you have a Bible, open it up to Acts 2. We'll be in there. We'll be jumping around to some other places, and uh, they'll show up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. If you want a Bible, there's one in front of you. You can have it. It's yours. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it kind of remind you of, if you weren't here last week, uh, it was Happy Birthday Church. It wasn't just because my birthday was last week, or maybe it was. I can't remember which. But it was Happy Birthday Church because this is the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon them as Jesus promised. The disciples are all in Jerusalem, and it says in verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues, which is translated languages. And I'll explain that um, as I did last week. As the Spirit gave them utterance. So it's, it's imagine like you don't speak Spanish, but the Holy Spirit enables you to speak Spanish. You don't speak German, but the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to speak German. Now, last week I explained that this whole experience in Acts chapter 2 is a parallel to what happened at Mount Sinai with Moses. And I showed you all those parallels last week. So you can check that out um, on our website as well, last week's message. So this is, this is the birth of God's church And it's in Jerusalem, and it's loud, and it's visible, and everybody knows that something's going on, and they want to know what's going on. So we see, and actually in verse 11, um, the second uh, part of the verse, we, we hear them telling in our own tongues, our own languages, the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to another, you know, what does this mean? Now, a long time ago, um, I went to Prague for a mission trip uh, to minister to the folks there in the Czech Republic, and we flew through Amsterdam. And in the airport in Amsterdam, international airport, I was in the airport, and around me, it was like multiple languages being spoken. Imagine yourself in an international airport, you can hear all the, I mean, just all these different languages. Probably there, there was probably 20, who knows, how many different languages are being spoken in an international airport. Well, that's what Jerusalem was like when people would come back, when the Jewish people would come back to the pilgrimage feasts that they had. And they were there for Pentecost, and they lived, they grew up all over the Roman Empire, and they spoke different languages, and they would come into town, and so all these languages are being spoken But the Holy Spirit gave the disciples the ability to speak in their languages so they could understand the mighty works of God. And they're like, okay, this is amazing, but what's going on? Well, the Holy Spirit is doing what the Holy Spirit does. He's revealing God. That's the first thing. He reveals God. 
And I would imagine that they heard stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, familiar stories that they heard from their rabbi or their family growing up. But then they also heard amazing stories about Jesus, because Jesus walked on this earth for three and a half years and did miracles and signs and wonders, and they probably heard those things about Jesus. I'm guessing that they talked about Psalm 19.1, where the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Because the Holy Spirit was there when God created everything. I think they quoted the prophets as a, um, a way of uh, showing that prophets spoke the word of God. When we look in the Old Testament, it's mostly written by prophets. Prophets spoke the word of God. Well, how do they know what the word of God was? God revealed it through the Holy Spirit. Peter explains this in one verse. One of my favorite verses in the New Testament. First Peter, or 2 Peter 1.21 This is what Peter says about all prophecy. He says, for for no prophecy was produced by the will of man. This isn't man's imagination. He says, but men spoke from God. How? How did they speak from God? They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit revealed God to the people through the prophets. In the book of Acts, when you read the book of Acts, because you promised me you're going to read the book of Acts, right? You made that promise? Okay, you can still make that promise. Read the book of Acts, because we're in this. And, And when you read the book of Acts, what you'll see is the Holy Spirit revealing God to all kinds of people. Specifically the Jews in Jerusalem, right now, in Acts 2. Then, as you keep reading, you'll see that he reveals himself to the Samaritans. A Samaritan was half Jewish. In Samaria. Philip will be the preacher down there. And then, later on, to Cornelius, who's a Gentile, he's not Jewish, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts. It's the Holy Spirit revealing God to all people. So all people, as the book of Acts says, so all people can be saved. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, through the apostles, we see, when you read the book of Acts, that they did signs, wonders, and miracles. Signs, wonders, and miracles to reveal God. And I'm going to make this statement that will raise an eyebrow or two, I'm sure. But today, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to do signs, wonders, and miracles to reveal God. And I'm going to explain why. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm saying he doesn't have to, to reveal God. Personally, I remember very vividly, when the Holy Spirit revealed God's love to me. So I'm speaking from my personal experience. When when the Holy Spirit revealed God's love to me, it wasn't through a sign, a wonder, or a miracle. It was me kind of seeking God, and there was another person, a, a, a former pastor, who took the time to spend some time with me, and we were on a, a simple work trip and we were, he was just praying before we were on our way for the day. And he, he just prayed the way he normally prays in the morning. I broke. The Holy Spirit opened my eyes, revealed to me God's love for me. There was no sign. There was no wonder. There was no miracle. It was just a simple call from God to serve him. And that's my experience. But there are Christians today that will insist 
And you may know them, you may be one, I don't know. But they insist that there must be a sign, a wonder, a miracle that God does, and then through that, people can see God. But let me take you to this verse from the words of Jesus. So you're not just banking everything on my words. The words of Jesus, John 20, 29. Now remember Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas, because when Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared and Thomas wasn't there and everybody believed and Thomas was like, well, I didn't see him, so I don't believe you. You know the type? Yeah. So then Jesus appeared to Thomas and then he believed. But then Jesus says this, have you believed because you've seen me, Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, I think based on that statement there, that's why I would say you don't need to see a sign, a wonder, or a miracle to see God. Because, because of what's already taken place, the signs, the wonders, miracles have already taken place, and we now have the Word of God, that's what we need. The Word of God opens our eyes. The Word of God opens our eyes to the whole. Look at Romans 10. In Romans 10, Paul explains that. How does someone get saved? The preaching of the word. How beautiful are those who bring the good news. So by you sharing your faith with other people, that's revealing, Holy Spirit will reveal God, open their eyes to see that. Now if God, okay, let me just say this too, by the way. I know I already said it, but I, I do believe um, I know there, there are some groups of, of Christians that believe, and you can look this up for you, they're called cessationists. They believe that the gifts, some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit have stopped, ceased. And then there's some that believe they've been continuing. And, and I'm a believer, and they've continued, because I believe God can do whatever he wants to do at any time. If God wanted to do a miracle right here in St. Clair Shores in front of, of hundreds of people, and there was a revival that broke out and people were saved, God can do that. He can do a sign, a wonder, a miracle if he wants to do that. But if God wants to reveal himself one at a time through his word, through a church that teaches the word of God, well, he's been doing that here, and he can continue to do that. And I say praise the Lord in both cases. The point is the Holy Spirit reveals God. And I believe that when we preach the Word of God, when we teach the Word of God, He is revealed. Next, the Holy Spirit empowers. Empowers. In Acts 2.14, Peter stood up among the eleven other disciples, and he lifted up his voice, and he addressed all of the people that were asking the question, what's going on? What does this mean? And he says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Now, Peter's about to preach a sermon. But you've got to know something about Peter. You probably already do. He was just a fisherman. He's a blue-collar guy. He doesn't do much studying. He don't read so good either, probably. He worked hard. He played hard. He loved his family. But he happened to followed Jesus around for three and a half years, and he paid attention. And Jesus told him on more than one occasion, 
that I'm going to build my church on you as the leader and the rest of the disciples and be ready. Be ready. And so he was. And so here's his, his, his moment that he needs to, to step up and, and do what I believe Jesus and the Holy Spirit empowered him to do. Jesus was with him, built him up, and now the Holy Spirit is empowering him to preach the word of God. In fact, in Matthew 10.20, Jesus said this, It's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, don't take that to be some mystical thing that when, say, for example, I open my mouth, the Holy Spirit is going to speak and I don't know what I'm saying. There are some, I don't don't know that I've met them, but there are some that get up and preach and they don't prepare. Their preparation is, the Holy Spirit's going to tell me what to say. That's just stupid, I think. I spend a lot of time studying and preparing, and I'm in the Word so that I can bring forth the truth from the Word. And the Holy Spirit, but He's done things to where I will preach something, and then one of you will say to me afterwards, boy, the, the word of God was speaking to me today about what you said and the way you said And I'm like, well, I didn't think I really said that. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit said it. And he revealed and he empowers us. And here's Peter. He says, uh, oh, by the way, um, this is, I think, a really important, powerful Um, point that Jesus made in uh, the end of Luke. Luke points it out. Um, Jesus said to them, these these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Remember when I taught you? And then I've taught you everything that's written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And all of it's going to be fulfilled now. And then this is verse 45. What did Jesus do for the disciples? He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us today. That's why some can be totally skeptical, atheistic, agnostic, whatever, and not believe. And then, just like that, like a flip of a switch, they believe, they can understand. Because the Holy Spirit opens their minds to understand. Now Peter teaches like no rabbi ever taught here. He shares the prophecy of Joel. He explains what's this Holy Spirit about and And did any prophet ever talk about it? Yes, Acts 2.17. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all the flesh. That's Joel prophesying. You can read in the Old Testament, you'll see Joel. He He predicted through God that the Holy Spirit would come and be poured out on all God's people. And then Peter mentions Psalm 16, which is Acts 2.27. This is David's psalm. David wrote this. David mentions that you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. He's explaining to everyone that Jesus didn't stay in the grave in decay. He's not in the tomb anymore. He was resurrected. And that was supposed to happen. And then he finishes his sermon with this statement. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ, this one whom you've crucified. In other words, he's saying to them, I've connected the dots for you. 
I, I put it all together for you. I'm explaining everything that's going on here. Jesus is the Messiah. You've been waiting for him. He's the Son of God. And could Peter do that on his own? He could not. The Holy Spirit empowered him to preach the truth. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's what he's always done. Let me take you to Samson in the Old Testament. Don't you love the story of Samson? If you've never read it before, that's your homework. You've got to read in Judges the life and the, and the story of Samson. One of my favorite examples. Samson had incredible strength and apparently incredible hair. Judges 15, verse 14. One of the cases in which Samson used his strength, and I'm going to show you how he gets his strength. He came to Lehi, and the, Philistine, the Philistines were the enemy, and they were shouting to meet Samson. They knew about Samson. He was the judge. He was the, the uh, protector, if you will, of Israel. And so the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. That's really important. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that caught fire, and his bonds melted off him. So they, they had tied him up, and they thought they had him, but he just broke, broke free. Like He had superhuman strength. And he found a, the fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put out his hand, took it, and with it, he struck a thousand men. One guy took down a thousand men. With the jawbone of an ass, he kicked some butt. No chains could bind him, no men could stop him. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. When you read in Judges, if you read those verses, those chapters, you'll see that it was always the Spirit of the Lord would rush upon him. But Samson had a kryptonite. If we compare him to Superman, he had a weakness. What was Samson's weakness? Did anybody say Delilah? Men, it's always the women, right, that are our weakness. Yeah, she got him to admit what his strength was and why he was so strong. Just kidding, ladies. You're not the, the kryptonite. But it was dependent on his obedience. See, Samson from birth had to obey the Nazarite vow to not drink alcohol and not eat any unclean food and not cut his hair. And I think teenage boys today are just taking, they just want to look like Samson. Remember when guys used to cut their hair short? Now they're growing it out. So Samson, here's the key. He obeyed, the Holy Spirit empowered him, would rush upon him. But he disobeyed, and the Holy Spirit left him. It did not empower him. So think about that. Think about that. Judges 13, chapters 13 through 16, that's your homework when you read it. But it's a reminder for us all. If we obey, the Holy Spirit empowers us. If we disobey, we're powerless. We're powerless. And then we move to the New Testament and we see a man named Stephen. And it doesn't say that Stephen was married, but if he was, his wife would be Brooke. Right, Stephen? But Stephen was one of the seven deacons and he had an amazing, he was filled with grace in power, Luke writes. In Acts 6.10, it says that when he spoke and, and then the, the people tried to basically argue against what he said, it says they could not withstand the wisdom 
and the spirit with which he was speaking. If you read Acts 6 and 7, you'll see his long um, example of, of Moses and how it leads up to the fact that, that they um, were, were rejecting Jesus. And as a result, Stephen became the first martyr. They stoned him to death. And it was Paul, well, Saul at the time of Tarsus, who was there holding the coats of the men who were stoning him to death. But what, what is it that makes us powerful today? What, what, what makes us an effective witness for Jesus, an exceptional servant for the Lord, an extraordinary giver for God's church? What is it that does that for us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do that. He reveals God. He empowers us. And then, thirdly, he purifies us. He purifies us. So, here it is in Acts chapter 2, the response to Peter's sermon. Peter preached a sermon, and there was a response from the people. They heard, and they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what do we do? What what should we do? How do we respond to God now? Peter said, repent. Repent means to turn, do a 180, turn away from your sin. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive what we have, the promises for you, for your children, for all who are far off, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord, you can have the Holy Spirit. And with many other words, he kept on preaching and bore witness to continue to exhort them, save yourself from this generation. And this is the exciting part. On that day, those who received his word and were baptized were 3,000 people. That's a pretty big revival in one day. 3,000 people. But understand something about what's going on here. When the gospel is, is taught, when the truth, the real gospel, the whole gospel is taught, there's always conviction. Because the Holy Spirit convicts. Jesus said this in John 16, verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes, what does he do? He convicts you, the world, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Think about it, parents. Two five-year-old twin boys. Let's say you had two five-year-old twin boys. And they're playing with a toy. And one of them wants it for himself. Doesn't want to share it anymore. I know it probably doesn't happen in your family. Kids probably share all the time. But let's say they're not sharing, and then the one boy takes it from the other one, and he runs away, and the other boy chases him down, and what does he do? He clocks him in the head, and he takes the toy. And so now you have a crying kid with no toy, and you have a happy kid with a toy. But mom sees it all. And what does mom make the boy with the toy do? She makes him say, sorry, apologize to your brother. Why does she do that? Because we know. Conviction must take place. He must be convicted. He must feel bad for what he did. He did something wrong. He needs to feel bad about it. And then when he says, sorry, the other brother is supposed to say, I forgive you, but he never really does. I'll get you back. But forgiveness can't happen without conviction. True forgiveness. Think about it. You make a mistake, you sin, you disobey God, 
And if you say to God, like you probably might have said to your brother or sister, sorry, is God going to truly forgive you? No. Because you are not convicted. You're not really confessing your sin to him. But if you really do, John says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. And what will he do? He will purify you. That's the word. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. It purifies us. Do you know the story of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6? In Isaiah 6, Isaiah the prophet got a glimpse of the Holy of Holies, that inner part of the temple where, or, where the high priest was only allowed to go because that's where, once a year, because that's where God dwelled. And he, and he went into the Holy of Holies and it says in verse 5, what an awesome sight it was and Isaiah was very uncomfortable because it says, his first words were, woe is me. Think about it. If you're in the presence of God and God is perfectly holy and you know what you are, you're going to say what Isaiah said. Woe is me. I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. My eyes have now seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm ruined. That's what he's saying. I'm done for. But then... One of the seraphim, one of the creatures of God, flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal. And he took it with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin has atoned for. The fire was necessary to purify him. What did John the baptizer say when he baptized people? I baptize you with water but the one who will come who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Because fire cleanses, it purifies. And when you're purified, you're sanctified. You, you, you're, you, we're told to be holy as God is holy. Now how do you know if you're being purified? How do you know if the Holy Spirit is doing a work in you to where you are sinning less? Not losing that battle. Crucifying the sinful nature. How do you know? The Holy Spirit gives you fruit. What are the fruits of the Holy Spirit? Galatians 5. Fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. There's no law against those things. Those are the things that come out of a person when they are being purified, being sanctified by God, being, whole, being made holy as God is holy. So you look at your life. Do you have those things? Do you have those fruits of the Spirit coming in your life? You're being sanctified. If you're being sanctified, those things are, are coming out. I will say this because I think you've probably heard about it and you've certainly seen it and it's televised and so on and so forth, but there's a term that I've heard before, and the term is being slain in the Spirit. Have you heard this term before, being slain in the Spirit? So a person says they're slain in the Spirit, and 
it's usually someone putting their hand on them and pushing them, and then they fall back, and someone catches them, and they're in this trance, and some, sometimes no one has to touch them. They, just, they're, they say they're slain in the Spirit. And what they're saying is, is they're being purified and healed. But let me tell you, that, that practice is not found in the Bible. That term is not found in the Bible. But some people sure love sensationalism. If it's sensational, they want to be a part of it. And if someone has a fall-to-the-ground kind of experience, honestly, the only way we can tell is if they were truly um, impacted by the Holy Spirit is to look at their fruit. What happens? Does it last? Does it really last? Are they more joyful now? More peaceful? More patient? More kind? Are they growing in their holiness? I've been to lots of events and retreats over the 20 plus years I've been a Christian. And, and, and I've seen emotional, sensational experiences that people um, say they have. But then weeks later, they're still the same person. There's no fruit in their life. There's no fruit of the Holy Spirit. They haven't changed. But then I've seen people come to church regularly, attend a Bible study consistently, get into the Word of God, and I've seen that change their life, transform them, and I've seen fruit come out of that. He reveals God. He empowers God. He purifies he empowers us, he purifies us, and then finally, the Holy Spirit unifies the church. There was about 120 disciples in the upper room before the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And then there's 3,000 more. Some stayed, some went back to their hometowns, but now the church is big in Jerusalem. So it was, you know, like our size, and then it just went mega size, like quickly, overnight. And you want to know, like, what did this church look like? Like, what, what was, like, what were some marks of this church? What were the marks of this church? What, what, what did they do? Like, how, did, how was daily life? Well, we, we were told in Acts 2. We're told how the Holy Spirit unified the church. I'm going to read it to you in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to four major things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship breaking of bread, and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So understand that there were people that were giving cheerfully to provide. Someone was in need, they provided. Praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord would add to their number day by day those who were being saved. So it didn't stop at 3,000. It kept growing and growing and growing. And there's five things that you have to see here, five important marks of the church that we see are, are happening in this first church. It's something that I always come back to when I evaluate our church. When I look at life of purpose, I say, how is life of purpose doing? Well, are we preaching the word of God? Are, are, are you guys hungry for the word of God? Because if you start to come to me and say, you know, uh, we just like you to be a little more anima- animated. We'd like you to be a little more, you know, 
I understand. I'm not a real emotional, passionate kind of guy. I mean, this is as passionate as I get right here, okay? I understand that. But if you came to me and said, well, man, we just, we'd really like, you know, if you could just do some other, you know, could we have some smoke coming up during the, or something like that? I don't know. More, better light show or something like that? I'm going to tell you, you're in the wrong church. Because it says right here that the Word of God is the first priority. We're teaching the Word of God and showing us, teaching how to apply it. Then there's the relationships, which you guys are awesome at. You excel at it. The koinonia is the Greek word. The fellowship of the church. You're awesome. I don't have to even... That part is the best here at Life of Purpose. And then there's communion and agape feasts as we, have, as we celebrate. But we take communion here and we remember and keep our focus on Jesus. And then there's prayer. We're a praying church. That's a mark of a healthy church. And then there's extraordinary giving. Giving is really important because the church functions on that and that we all give first and foremost to, 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 to the work of God. So the Holy Spirit unifies the church by making sure that those marks are, are in every healthy church. That's what's important. If you're missing one of those, you're missing out. And the Holy Spirit will let you know. In fact, you don't have to read too far in the book of Acts and you find out that the Holy Spirit reveals something that was going on and he makes a big deal about it. Real quickly, as I finish up here, Acts 5, there's a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira were pretending to be giving, very giving, very generous givers. They sold some land and then they came to give the money, the proceeds of the land, and they pretended to give it all. Like we sold this for 10,000 and we're giving you 10,000. But the truth is is they sold it for 10,000 and they said, "Oh, we sold it for 5,000 and here's 5,000. Look at us." They lied. And so the result is they died on the spot. And you might think, "Geez, God, that's a little harsh, man." They just lied about how much they gave. People have done much worse than you've forgiven them. I mean, that's what I thought when I read it. I'm like, this is extreme. Why is he doing this? Well, in verse 11 of Acts 5, it says, Great fear came upon the whole church because of this incident. They heard about this, and everybody was afraid. In other words, God was establishing the importance of a healthy church. A church where we don't lie to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is what keeps us together. And there's things that we do. There's things that I talk about when you go through the um, discipleship class that, that leads to being a, a, an official member of, of our church. And that one of them is, is protecting the unity of this church. We all have to do it. But the leaders have to do it first and foremost. Our elders have to make sure that we are taking care and protecting this church. And one thing that churches aren't very good at usually is discipline, church discipline, and, and how we handle people who are habitually living in sin and not repenting of their sin. In fact, I think it's kind of sad today that churches are opening their doors to what I would call cultural unity or worldly unity. And honestly, I think all that does is invite division. 
They think if we just accept everyone, then we'll all get along. And you don't have to be smarter than a fifth grader to know that that doesn't work. Am I right? That doesn't work. Because the heart wants what the heart wants. And Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all things. So we need the Word of God, we need the Holy Spirit to keep us on track, to keep us unified. The Word of God has to be our guide. We must continue to fellowship and, communi- and have communion together and pray and give faithfully. And as I, we have a simple saying here at Life of Purpose, we exist to help you um, get closer to God, understand the Bible, and love one another. That's, that's kind of those marks of a healthy church. Just keep doing that, church, and we're going to be okay. We're going to keep teaching the Word of God. If we don't teach the Word of God, and we're just, we're just a Rotary Club. We're just a Kiwanis Club. We're not that. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. We, the Holy Spirit has to do what the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit empowers us. He reveals God. He purifies us. And He unifies us. So as you pray, as, as I invite Dylan and AJ to come up and sing our final song, as you pray just for a moment on your own, just pray for this church, first and foremost. Pray that we, that we see the work of the Holy Spirit. We see God revealing himself through the Holy Spirit. We see empowering us to do what God can do through us. And then pray for, pray for other churches. Pray for Christians that you know that, that need to see God, to, to be empowered by God, to be purified by God. Will you do that? Will you just take this time, and I'll be quiet, and they'll start playing the song, but just pray. Just take this time to pray.